Uniquely. 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 Hi, welcome to Uniquely Issaquah. I'm Mary Lou Polly, the mayor of the city of Issaquah, and today I have our new police chief with us. Welcome, Paula. Thank you, and thank you for having me. Yeah, and congratulations on your promotion. It's very exciting, and I know I get a lot of questions from the community to learn a little bit more about our new chief. So if you could start us off today, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, personally? Okay, thank you. I'm very excited to be here and be the new chief in Issaquah. I've been in law enforcement for 27 years. I was a deputy sheriff. I worked for the U.S. Marshals. I worked for another city in Pierce County. And then I've been here in Issaquah for five years. And I'm excited to be the new chief. So that's, a, I was a corrections officer before. I've been a dispatcher before, all before I was, you know, a police officer itself. And having all those different aspects, I think, makes me uniquely qualified for the position here as we have all those different divisions in our city. We do. I'm not sure that our residents understand that we have a jail and a dispatch, police services, and a court. Um, so why Issaquah? Why did you pick us? A couple different reasons. Communities um, very uniquely diverse for the type of law enforcement I've done in the past. I do like the quality of the fact I came from an agency who did previously have both their own dispatch center and a jail as well. And so within the year before I came here, it had lost both their jail or chose to go a different direction from their jail and their dispatch center, and it's just police services now. And it really drastically changes the dynamic. So that's one of the biggest parts. Uh, I did a ride along both in day shift and night shift in research prior to choosing here even to come as a commander. And um, it was an awesome experience with the staff and how professional and respectful and how the community interacted with them. And so it really reiterated on this, this is the place to be. And then after becoming commander and moving towards chief, the staff and people here that I work with on a daily basis are what makes it all worthwhile. And the community support is amazing, mm -hmm. as well as the city administration and council. That is awesome. Um, you've been with us for a while. Do you have any fond memories as commander that you would like to share with us today? Ooh, fond memories. It, it's been a tough, <laughs> tough period of time that you were, were here, but is there anything you want to share? I think the fond memories are really how they've pulled together for them each other is the biggest part. It was a tough time um, in law enforcement as a whole and then for the department. And those who chose to stay and or chose to come back really are some amazing people and they they pulled up their bootstraps every single one of them in every division and pulled through the tough times and now we're seeing an upward swing towards the positive in staffing levels and support and so i think the the way they're everybody talks about family and it's like the thing to say but the reality is here they really support each other if someone was out with COVID, for example, for the last two years, then people stepped up and, and took the time. And so we didn't have to contract with the city we, or a county or another agency to have our services and still be, were able to keep up the level of service for the community. That's one of the biggest things and I guess would say fondest memories so far. That mm. That's a huge thing. That's awesome. So with a new chief comes a new vision. Did you make any realignments in the services that uh, the department is providing and and what are your next steps you've you've been in the job for a few months now tell us about your vision and where you're headed next 
That's a great question. Um, Vision-wise, it was more specifically getting the staff. I mean, that's just been the number one priority, is getting staff where we needed to be. Some of the major pieces that I did in notoriously in a lot of different agencies, what it would be if there's struggle in patrol per se, or in admin, we were short commanders. People would bring someone and emaciate patrol, whereas instead we took everybody out of specialties, and which is fairly common, but I actually went outside and found some civilian people to take on those contracts for temporary. And it's been amazing and very beneficial, as well as helpful in getting the staffing up to where we need and our patrol officers and other staff could do the jobs and keep that level of service and community going. As far as vision goes, I want to continue that and growing that personnel in each one of the visions. Maintaining and retention mm -hmm. is another huge part. While working on projects and getting out in the community more, educating, um, talked about a virtual town hall meeting with possibly yourself, and uh, a lot of different community events, um, meetings in the different divisions, housing developments, talking about the, the problems that are really first at hand within our community, whether it be shoplifting, whether it be package thieves, whether it be um, block watches in community, and then start implementing as our specialties open up again, some of the parent project and the pause on patrol the different programs that we had before and expand and even build on those oh that's great i've met your civilian commanders they are just an excellent addition and i'm, I'm not sure the community knew that as uh, departments were suffering shortages that commanders like yourself were actually taking shifts and that's that was a, a really challenging time so when we were uh, doing our recruitment process we did a community survey and the community came back and wanted to understand how will you engage the community and listen to their feedback and incorporate it in, in your vision and where you're going? I think education and being available are big pieces. Um, we're gonna start reporting out, we have a new crime analyst that we've hired, which is one of the first full-time positions that they've had here. There was a part-time volunteer at one time. Um, this is the first full-time and getting some actual data is a, a big piece in letting the community know what's going on. We have the you know crime data um, space on our website now, but I want to give very specific detailed information. When we go to meetings, we can um, take specific data comparatively to the city, comparatively to our neighboring cities, and how ours may feel personally really close, um, but the reality is it's similar to or less than some of our out surrounding agencies and neighborhoods. So being out there and available is number one. Um, educating is number two by putting in our 60 second safety tips, um, by also doing the virtual town halls, receiving emails and responding to those or taking meetings and having the opportunities to hear from the public and then being responsive in that fashion. Um, it's important and we know it, the community is a, we want to hear we're not living there we're not there every day but also educating on what that looks like and means based on staff wise based on call volume i think those pieces have to go hand in hand and where you live it is personal and it is you want to be safe and mm -hmm. there are times changing there are some limitations whether it be legislation or whatnot but we are still here to serve we are still an agency that will continue to respond to calls for service and not only calls for service, but we will also still go out there and do our jobs and law enforcement. 
So whether that be traffic, whether that be parking, whether that be um, we've implemented the new trespass program because it was necessary in handling calls for service when a homeowner or a business owner, more importantly, are not on the property. So those are big asks. Um, and then incorporating other programs, like we've started the retail business group that we meet monthly for that and collaborating with ideas and taking those into account and having our experts, which are our boots on the ground, be part of those solutions. So let's dig into that a little bit. You mentioned a couple of things I'm not sure the community is aware of that is really challenging for the police department right now and, and policing in general. You mentioned legislation and you also talked about our, our retail uh, group that was formed to actually take stronger and coordinated actions on shoplifting. Can you go a little bit more into detail on the challenges that you're facing now that are unique to our time and uh, what you're doing to address them? Some of the unique challenges was legislation that started last January and there were some things that were implemented um, in the legislation regarding pursuits. You see a lot of it on the news um, regarding um, talking to juvenile criminals um, or even juvenile victims for that matter. Also legislation on contact. Um, it, it changed and they reworded it in the last six months which was helpful for us again to do our jobs a little bit better um, and even with less lethal munitions um, is a whole nother piece to that. Our our goal is to continue in educating those that make some of those decisions on how we do our jobs so we're able to still in the community and keep it safe but still respecting and being able to value and appreciate and uphold everybody's rights at the same time. So hindering that, making sure we're following the guidelines, um, the legalization of narcotics um, is hard for people to understand because there's certain narcotics, this doesn't mean that they can just do narcotics right in front of you in a public place. So that does mean that they, we can still be contacted because that part of the law and statute is still illegal. There's other things that our city's working on to, um, as a city level, put some things in place that will assist in us still being able to do our jobs and protect those victims in our city when they become victims of a car theft or someone is in a stolen vehicle. And so we are working on those pieces, but that does hinder and that does become problematic. To the question of the retail business that we've put into place and to combat some of these things. So the businesses after hours, we also implemented these signs like we talked about, is to collaborate, have conversation. Um, you yourself started some meetings as well and we're contacting whether it be large corporations or that work in our city or smaller businesses. It's to educate, to communicate, to work with them and come with some certain guidelines that prevent Ill illegal or nefarious activities to be going on um, or even uh, publicized because that mm -hmm. was what we were finding on social media websites and so making sure that we're getting our shopping carts collected making sure that if there are crimes being committed like large shopping carts being pushed out full of goods our citizens are paying for them majority of them and the people that are committing most of the crimes aren't people that are citizens and so it's very difficult for some people to understand why officers aren't responding to that once in a while it's not because we're not responding, it's that by law we have to have a victim. And if this 
or is choosing not to pursue charges, or there's someone in their store that is not able to, under their purview, to press charges, then police officers cannot do anything or even stop somebody because we don't have probable cause or a crime in place for us to make contact. So that becomes problematic when and very frustrating as a citizen as wanting to be a good witness and make that phone call. And where it's not that we're not responsive or we don't care or we're choosing not to, it's that maybe we have called the store and say, hey, were you aware of this? Um, we have a, a, a witness. Are you wanting to press charges? Do you want us to stop this individual? And if they say no, we're working on getting better to communicate that back to the person that's the witness so they understand what that process is but we are definitely still responding to crime. Yeah, that, that is such a great answer. Thank you so much. There's so many times I hear from residents and businesses who um, are so concerned about what they're seeing, which is so different than just three years ago, um, and so blatant and so obvious. And just getting that story out there that the uh, retail and the police and our community need to work together and we all have a role to play in order to be able to affect change and stop that behavior and so thank you for all your efforts in that that's been great um, one of the other things we heard a lot about uh, as we were going through this process is you know community policing is important and so what does that mean to you and how do you expect the community to participate in that Community policing to me is working together with those in the community, whether it be community leaders, whether it be um, community representatives like homeowners association groups or um, there's also landlords or people in charge of different properties or those large groups, community groups that may be um, religious groups, maybe political groups, any of the above. The idea is for us all to work together to meet on a regular basis and have that opportunity to communicate with each other if they have concerns or things going on in the community, what does that look like? And so community placing is really being available, hearing what the different specifics are between that. We have a real diverse group here within the police department. We have um, officers that speak Vietnamese. We have officers that speak, several officers that speak Spanish. Um, we have one that speaks Russian. We have different, you know, different levels and we're growing that diversity. And I think that's super important too, to be able to um, not only represent the different communities in our area, but also be available for those. And that's a huge part because there needs to be an understanding in those different culture differences and what they're hearing in their communities. Cause maybe in, in the Highlands, for example, there might be something different than what's going on in South Cove. Um, if there's something completely different going on, we need to be available and communicating with those different groups. And so that's the huge part of community policing is really it's a collaboration to make sure that we're hearing from everybody, but we're also educating each other on what's going on. It's not one way. It's not just the police educating them or the community or citizens. It's them also educating and being open to have some of that collaboration. And so we can learn from, um, from them as well as they learn from us. And so the openness of all of that, it has to be on both sides. Oh yeah, that is great. I, you know, as mayor, so appreciate when you come to those community meetings with me and I can see that when you are in the room that you are there to listen to what their specific concerns are, but you spend most of the time explaining police protocol and police activities. So there's a bit of both, you know, there's education and then there's understanding of community needs. 
Uh, let's talk a little bit about training. You did um, re ref refer to it a little bit. Uh, there's a lot of questions about how does Issaquah Police Department train its employees to deal with cultural differences, to deal with um, discrimination and bias. Uh, what's our training program and has it changed at all in the last few years? It's changed drastically in the last few years. Um, the state does require that all of our staff, not just officers, but all of our staff, take implicit bias classes. Uh, that's one portion of the class that we're, we do take. The other classes that we take annually is a refresher course on CIT. Uh, and so CIT is dealing with either, it's a topic every year that's a little bit different. Um, one might be with someone with a mental health disability. Another might be someone with autism or Asperger's or um, there's different people, how some people respond when we show up to a call. And to be open and looking for all those different things. So always educating ourselves on those pieces. There's also another 40-hour course. Similarly, that the state requires a certain percent of our department to have taken. And so it, we do everything possible to stay within that and above and beyond that to make sure all of our people keep those refreshers up. We have people that monitor and are in charge of making sure that we're above that mark. And we also encourage and bring a lot of that into the regular trainings that we talk about. We give scenarios that have little different twists in it that we might see out in the public that might be cultural or might be religious based. Okay, how would you respond to that differently or would you respond to that differently in those circumstances? So the training is not just for the officers. It's also for our dispatch. It's also for our corrections officers. Um, it's also for our executive staff. And so everybody is required to take a lot of those. And, uh, you know, if not all of them, not only at the initial training, but then continued. So it's a continued training process. What's really nice, too, is I've attended one at CJTC, the Criminal Justice Training Center here in the state of Washington. Um, we mix it up. There's some that have been online. There's some that have been hosted here. And so we mix it up as well. So it's not always the same mundane. So people stop listening. Um, they get different speakers on a regular basis. So we really try and keep them engaged and our people really learning and growing to be as open-minded and working with, um, and the diversity of our own department has been a huge part of that as well. Yeah, that has been awesome. See, I've seen that in the hiring. It's fantastic. Thank you for that. In the past, the Isquah Police Department had some very popular community programs like um, Block Watch and Pause on Patrol. Um, wh what is the status of those programs? Are they active? Are they coming back? We've had a lot of communities reach out and they're interested in the Block Watch programs, yes. Um, we Small versions of those are. And we talk now, there's just, before when it happened in the past, now there's just different ways you communicate than the past and things you see understanding and educating on those so they are in they're moving back into play again they've gone away for quite a while and then they're coming back pause on patrol we hire looking to after the first of the year when our staffing okay. and our specialties is back up which are so close to getting that moving um, we've got the hiring done now we have to get everybody trained and so hoping in the first quarter um, of next year to get back the pause on patrol and the parent project moving forward because they were amazing and maybe even the citizens academy really pushing to for that um, another thing you asked about a vision I think there's a, a lot of members in the community that I'd also like to incorporate so we're talking about the possibility of doing a uh, volunteer program as well 
And so we're looking at that possible addition to be very helpful in growing that community and that diversity because we do have a good retired population here. And I think it would be great to include them as well as learn from them and help them to participate and be a part. That was awesome programs. Cannot wait. I think that just builds so much community character when we are helping you. Uh, we're a small police department. How does a small police department get support within the region to do everything you need to do? So we are Isqua specifically as part of a, what we call CSPA. It's a small cities group. And there's um, a large group of in cities, I believe it's 11 cities, it may be 13, I have to look at that number exactly. But we meet monthly. Um, and so a lot of smaller cities, because King County, for example, has a bunch of resources and a larger amount of money than we do as individual cities do. So to group together and um, we share trainings, we share different opportunities in purchases of certain materials. It's a lot less expensive to um, order them in master quantities. And so we use those small cities to do such things and get greater opportunities or less cost for even trainings. So we do that often. I also attend Eastside Chiefs, which mm -hmm. are people that are our neighboring cities. And there's several people in that, like Bellevue, Redmond, uh, Snoqualmie, North Bend. And so all the East, a lot of the Eastside Chiefs, we all meet again monthly. And then there's King County Chiefs. So all the King County Chiefs, we also meet collaboratively. Um, then I also do a lot of the WCIA. I've gone to and attended multiple trainings, and which is training, you know, uh, chiefs from all across the state. It sounds like you have a great support network out there among other policing professionals. What about city departments? We don't have a fire department. We're part of a regional fire agency, but we do have human services, public works, uh, parks and recreation, or parks and community services, so many different groups within the city. How does the police department interact within the city? Great question. Um, we work with the other departments in the city on on a daily basis. So whether it be with our behavior health coordinators, that has been something that was implemented um, in the last couple of years. We have two staff members that work directly on a daily basis, cases that we refer to them and they work with uh, for resources for those that are in need in our community um, for human services. So we work with them on a daily basis at all different levels, get referrals at night sometimes, um, and they work seven days a week now. So they collaborate and work hand in hand with our police department. Um, projects as far as the streets every day we're talking about different things regarding safety of our pedestrians and what a lot of people don't know for example on the weekend there was a power power outage and there was so much traffic in our city in fact you know we had tweets that people are like get an officer in the intersection um, the problem with some of the intersections is they're so large that we can't just put an officer in there it would be still be chaotic or even more so than if it's uh, light is out it's considered a four-way stop. And so if people handle it as such, that's the best way to be as safe as possible. Is everybody everybody is handles it like a four-way stop. But yes, yeah, so I collaborated and was on the phone with both Public Works, part of Streets, and my corporals, and we're talking to the engineers, or if we have to talk to um, the water services, uh, all the different divisions, we talk on a regular basis. We have people come to trainings because the people with water quality and um, our 
quality control for the salmon um, and what goes in our drainage, they come and do education and they make sure we have things we need to clean up spills. So if there's a crash on the roadway. So we work on a regular basis. The permit center's in our own building. I have to approve all the permits when someone wants to do an event or... Like salmon days. (laughs) Yes, like salmon days. Um, Or construction. So... Uh, Then we also have SLT to where all the directors get together once a week and we discuss things that are happening in our city that are major or that are things that are going to be brought to the attention of the council. That's our senior leadership team. Correct. Yeah, they're great. They're great for coordination. And I really not sure if the community is aware of how integrated our police department is to everything that we do. So I have so much fun when we do National Night Out together in August. And I wonder if you could tell people what that is. And what the community goals are for National Night Out. Sure. National Night Out is a obviously a, a national-wide event. And the idea is it's for safety. It's for community to collaborate and learn and grow and have that interaction. And nationally, it's known, and we have several communities in the area that have their own block watch. Or not block watch, but block event. And so some are larger than others, and you don't have to have some grandiose, you know, major thing. Some of them are as an ice cream social. Others will be, um, have large activities that are put forth by that community. And we also put something on here at the police department, which we bring vendors out that are about 911 simulators, or it's about the helicopter that we have ride. And so the kids can come down and see and the interaction with the sheriff's department, the bomb dog from the sheriff's department, the marine unit from the sheriff's department. Because a lot of people don't know that the lake here in our city is actually patrolled by the Marine. We contract with them. And so and we're working to have our officers sometimes work collaboratively more with them as well. So this is the large piece in working together with other agencies. The whole idea and everybody is making sure that the community is safe at every different level. Like you mentioned, even the fire department. And so they also come out and they're a part of that. And it's education on hazmat, it's education on all things safety, whether it be lighting um, and wanna make sure we have, they have all those pieces and tools or something new in case they didn't know before or meet some of the people that they didn't have the opportunity to before that were, we all are in this together to keep our community safe. And that's what National United actually is about and represents is Everybody getting together that they're in this for the same reason, that we love our community and making it as safe as possible. So, Chief, let's summarize here. What are the top three priorities uh, that you're working on right now? Well, the number one is, is hiring. But the top three for the community, I would say, are shoplift. We've already talked about a little bit. Um, the second would be the transit centers. And number three would be car prowls and vehicle thefts. And at the transit center, you're talking about break-ins to vehicles at the transit center. Is that what you're hearing from the community? More than just that. There's a lot going on at the transit centers. So I've been working with Sound Transit. Uh, My department has, the commanders have on a regular basis, trying to come up with some solutions, um, different ideas for the transit center. We also found out there was a little bit of a breakdown in communication. So we've um, leveled out a couple of those and we're able to figure out and say that if they have something at our transit center and they don't have somebody in that area directly, they'll immediately call us. And so we will handle those calls for service. 
service. And so we've actually stepped up and said that, yes, if that's in our city, you don't have to use the transit center people, call us and we'll take those calls for service because it's better to our community when a lot of them are citizens that are actually using the transit center. We've also come up with the no trespass signs as been mentioned a couple times, whereas they don't have to have a transit person on site to sign that. They've given us permission and signed already that if someone's there sleeping on the property, if someone's there um, doing things they shouldn't be other than taking the transit, um, then they are not to be on the property and we are able to address those. And so that is with the sound transit, the other piece we've worked on. Um, regarding and there but then not just vehicle prowls there which leads into the next topic but also vehicle thefts yeah. so it's it's grown drastically and so we do we're doing what we can and working with sound transit but also in other communities the vehicle prowls which people just entering vehicles and one of the top things we find is a lot of vehicles that are gone into are unlocked so if people would lock their vehicles, I mean, yeah, it's, we shouldn't have people going in them regardless. Unfortunately, uh, another thing in a deterrent is often making sure that nothing's visible in your car and something that you might feel is worth a lot of money, like a car charger, uh, or is not worth much money, is worth a lot of money or worth a meal to somebody. So just keeping those things in mind when you are parking, even in your own driveway, um, if you're not able to park in your garage, which is a common thing these days, um, but also if you're out and about and just keeping that door locked and secured. So that's a big piece. And vehicles, again, being stolen. And there's some of the older vehicles. That's what's being preyed on more than it is like a brand new any type of vehicle without me naming a label. Um, they're stolen more often than others. And whether you get other circumstances or external security measures, those are, are different options. Park in well-lit areas, um, have alarm system, whether aftermarket or ones that are marketed, and what they're set to as far as their sensors go. You don't want them so sensitive that when you go out to your car, you're upsetting your neighbors. But at the same time, just securing those because um, they're getting more brazen, I would say, these days, as well as inventive on how they either you know we can go through a neighborhood and they'll watch us in the neighborhood or have a lookout and so then we leave the neighborhood and then they continue doing what they're doing so it's not that our officers aren't patrolling it out in the neighborhoods it's the reality is we're out there um, sometimes I even tell my staff if you've gone through go through again so they they're not sure what's going on or how come you and they you know keep them guessing so I've encouraged the officers just to be present and trying to deter those as well as things that our citizens can do to help. Right, encouraging citizens to call in on things that are suspicious. Yeah, of yeah, course. Absolutely. Well, congratulations again on your promotion to Chief Issaquah and myself as the Mayor of Issaquah is so glad that you're here and that you're leading such a strong team. Thanks for all the information that you shared today. Is there anything, any last words you would like to share with our audience today? Well, thank you for picking me. That would be, <laughs> I guess, number one. Uh, the other part would be I, I'm just happy to be here. I want to continue to serve within our guidelines and make sure that our service continues in the high standards and representation as professional as possible. That's fantastic. Well, thanks, everybody, who tuned in today to hear my interview with Chief Schwan. And uh, when you see her out on the street, congratulate her on her promotion as well. We're so happy to have her. Thanks, Chief Schwan.